This week's show title, When Will the Past Be Allowed to Be the Past, is a paradox. In a speech in 1960, John F. Kennedy said, What is past is prologue, referencing the inscription above the National Archive, quoting Antonio from Shakespeare's The Tempest. Kennedy then went on to quote Rilke, saying, The future enters all of us long before it happens. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Kennedy Beacon Podcast, and today I'm here with my co-hosts Aaron Good and Nico House, and we're talking about the second episode of Four Died Trying, the new Apple TV series about JFK, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., and Robert F. Kennedy. Hey guys, good to see you. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, thanks Francis. It's great to be here. Great to see you guys. Full disclosure now, Four Died Trying on Apple TV was executive produced by Mark Gordon. He's the co-founder, of course, of American Values 24. Now, we're not told what to say. We're not censored here at the Kennedy Beacon podcast. So I just want to say bluntly and from the heart, I love documentaries and what these filmmakers have done. We're talking about Libby Hondros and John Kirby, who put literally decades of their lives into making Four Died Trying is completely remarkable and amazing. I enjoy watching every episode. Now, the second episode, after the prologue, so technically I guess it's, what, episode one, tackling the McCarthy era. It's showing the mood of the country right before John F. Kennedy's murder, when the fear of speaking freely was pretty much palpable in the entire nation. The most recent episode of Four Died Trying lets us almost feel it. Let's listen to a clip. These are the Hollywood Ten. What was their crime? Why are they in prison? There were two questions. Are you a member of the Screenwriters Guild? Are you now? Have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? I could answer, but if I did, I'd hate myself no more. My father was not one of the ten, but his collaborator on several plays, Albert Maltz, was one of the ten. They call them up to Washington to speak for Uncle Sam. But when they ask them what they are, they shut up like a clam. Next, you are going to ask what my religious beliefs are. And you are going to insist before various members of the industry that since you don't like my religious beliefs, I should not work in that industry. Uh, Mr. Moore. Any such question is quite irrelevant to the course of this committee's investigation. So I got to know that world and what it meant uh, very intimately. My father would run to the backyard when somebody came to the front door because it was often the FBI and he did not want to be subpoenaed and he didn't want to be cross-examined by the FBI. I wish they'd take and put me on the witness stand today I'd yell so loud old Stalin could hear me all the way Why didn't we avoid all this? Why didn't we answer the questions yes or no as the committee demanded? Because we wanted to challenge the right of the committee to ask such questions. A lot of people switched houses. A lot of people moved out of the country. We are aware of a developing nightmare of fear in our land. Is it possible that under the pretext of the Cold War, civil rights are to be taken from the American people? You had to sign loyalty oaths in order to work. Everyone was afraid to speak out. Loyalty oaths and loyalty boards. And nobody is loyal who criticizes the bipartisan foreign policy. When we were asked, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? The committee was really preparing to ask you, are you now or have you ever been in favor of peace? Mm. 
Those times. Now, Aaron, you hosted a beautiful podcast last week, the Kennedy Beacon Podcast, on the 60th anniversary of President Kennedy's assassination. For those who haven't really had a chance to catch it yet, can you hit some of the highlights for us? Well, we were able to get uh, the filmmakers who were creating Four Died Trying, Libby Hendros and John Kirby, to join us. And we had David Talbot, author of Brothers, uh, The Hidden History of the Kennedy Years. And we had Dick Russell, who has uh, who's written a number of books on the Kennedy assassination and co-written a number of them as well with Jesse Ventura. So it was a great panel already. And then... Um, we had asked, I'd asked Oliver Stone if he could join us, but it was too late to notice. So he said, no, I couldn't. And I thought, well, uh, Hail Mary, I will ask Dick Russell if we could possibly bring on Jesse Ventura. And on very short notice, he was able to bring him on. And that was really cool. I think that it was great to be able to talk about the 60th anniversary with all these people. I couldn't, uh, it'd be hard to put together a, a better panel than this. But I would also say that the newsworthy part of it was that Jesse Ventura uh, spoke about wanting to serve as an insurance policy for Robert Kennedy's life uh, by being his vice presidential candidate. And I, the quote from him here is, uh, I think people will appreciate it. He said, uh, everybody laughs, but I'm telling you, that's a serious thing. He needs to pick a person that they're more frightened of than him so that they won't pick him out and say, well, we'll dust off Junior and we'll be home free. No, you dust off Junior, you get something twice as bad. <laughs> I'm no LBJ. So that was, uh, I think, a newsworthy uh, event in the content, in the midst of this really great discussion. So uh, I would recommend that anybody who has any interest in this case go and, and listen to that uh, because it was a great it was a great discussion. Nico, you want to take it? You want to take it? It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. So what? Um, first of all, what Aaron said is great, and I think that. We the, the the great part about this first episode is that it exposed how injustice was almost conditioned in Americans uh, for them to allow it to to thrive. Um, progress is good now, and, and even RFK in that uh, first technically the first chapter right after the prologue, uh, he talked about the fact that the Katie family was told to like move forward and think think about the future rather than reflect on the the past. But you know, progress is good, but it would be actually nice to have some justice for once. Um, we're still standing in that history, uh, or at least in the wake of it. Uh, how uh, how did Libby Handros describe it last week, uh, the assassination era? And she named all four of these men, plus Medgar Evers and others. And for me personally, one that oftentimes gets um, doesn't get discussed enough, and there's a reason for that we can go into maybe a little bit later, it's Fred Hampton. No one the fact that a 21-year-old Black Panther was killed by police, and everyone knows it, and no one talks about it. Um, she she also included John Lennon, as you all know. Um, as you said, Aaron, most of us weren't even born yet, or at least we're too young uh, to know what any of it meant at the time. But here we are talking about it all and trying to understand its impact in the absence of truth, truth and justice. Uh, what does it mean to go with uh, without this era being unresolved? And I think that what it basically meant, at least for, for me, for, for us, for the political system, is that um, without accountability, there can't be change and there will not be change. Because, I mean, Kennedy was assassinated, MLK was assassinated, Malcolm X was assassinated, John Lennon was assassinated, Medgar was assassinated, um, Fred Hampton, like I said, was assassinated, and then the Black Panther organization 
was labeled a terrorist organization and none of those involved were held accountable. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Some of them even had their names plastered on airports and buildings. Mm. Yeah, that aspect of it is a key that we are still stuck with it. And it gets into things that you write about in the second, uh, the review of the second episode or the first one past the prologue for Ford Died Trying, where they start to talk about the McCarthy era, because those areas, these things are all really connected. And uh, the they don't go back as far as this, but I, I've gone back even further in my own academic work uh, to really trace this to World War II era and corporate power. Corporate power and the and corporate corruption of our democracy is what led to the creation of this American empire. Uh, it was decided during World War II, these Wall Street oligarchs who ran the Council on Foreign Relations, which still does the same thing today. It gives you a Wall Street-approved uh, foreign policy thinkers on what the government should do. They said, we're going to go for empire and uh, we're going to be basically the leaders of the free world, but we're not going to call it empire. We're going to call it fun freedom project or American leadership or the American century, whatever, but it was empire. And once you make that decision, that sets off a whole lot of other areas. And even in the new deal era, when Roosevelt, when American democracy was more uh, pro-socialist than any other point in its history, in terms of like it actually had some democratic socialist type of programs. Uh, you you had Roosevelt, and he puts out the four freedoms, saying that he wants to you know have freedom from want and freedom of religion, freedom of harassment, etc. And the business interests they put out, they said, don't forget the fifth freedom, free enterprise, right? And they had this ad campaign. It's just like they can't even for one second allow the discussion to be about like creating a better world, they always have to get their worship of corporate buying and selling of stuff and money-making put into the equation. So that, and those are the people who are behind the creation of the CIA. And this was what fueled McCarthyism, this idea that you had to have a, a Soviet, you had to cut off connection with the Soviet, the Soviets, and you needed to have anti-communism all around and a big military buildup. That's all related to what the to the U.S. scheme to try to rule the world, and it really set in motion things that were horrible, including domestic assassinations. And the weight of that history is bearing down on us right now. It couldn't be more relevant. And I and I want to say I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that the McCarthyism was specifically used as an excuse for the U.S. to rule the world, because where where the I know the average person might have been scared of quote unquote communism, but it was put in the documentary, uh, I think pretty well, they weren't really scared of communism. They were scared of being accused of being a communist, right? Because of the consequences that came with that. There was no due process once that process started. But they're only using the fear of communism because, well, the empire can't really be successful without a boogeyman. The military industrial complex cannot be successful without a boogeyman. And Eisenhower uh, mentioned something that a lot of people don't talk about in his in his speech whenever people do mention it. They often bring up uh, the military-industrial complex. They don't talk about the fact that he was originally going to say the congressional military-industrial complex. So that's a big part. And when we look now, how Congress has allowed the executive branch to, they've created avenues for the executive branch to skirt uh, the checks and balances that were put in place by the founding fathers by just, you know, Entering 2,000 troops to this country here, another 5,000 here, another 10,000 here, never declaring war. Congress is what allowed that to happen, right? So that's important. And the fact that he said, we used to build weapons based off of need. Mm. Uh, but he goes on to say, 
because of the state of the world that, you know, during his term and right before his term, he goes on to say that because of the state of the world, we can no longer uh, rely on improvisational defense. And that is the birth of the defense industry. And at that point, the defense industry had made more money than every single United States corporation combined. Now, say even if you're not a bad person, say if you're not in on the cabal, if you're not one of the masterminds behind the military industrial complex, you now have a very clear incentive to participate in this industry because we all know that there are really only two industries that are uh, untouchable, at least in the United States, that will always make you money. It's the healthcare industry, because people are always going to get sick, and war, because the United States is always going to make sure that we're involved in some conflict or another. And that people might think, well, that's crazy because, you know, that was back then, but we're not always in war now. Why? Because we never officially declare it. Look at how many countries we're in uh, or involved in directly or indirectly. How much money have we sent to Ukraine? Uh, and how much money has Lockheed Martin in Boeing and all these countries made off of wars that we're not even involved in? How much money have they gotten to bomb Sudan, Somalia? How much money did we did we spend in Iraq, Afghanistan? Um, how many how many times have we given Lockheed Martin and Boeing the opportunity and money to create weapons and they just test them on countries like Cambodia and Laos, like? It is the most profitable, quote unquote, legitimate industry in the world. And at that point, you don't have to be a warmonger or be somebody who loves to kill other people to like making money. And that incentive has been there since prior to Eisenhower. Um, and of course, like he warned, it continued. Uh, and and it's, it's sad because you would hope that it would have been dialed back since that speech, that farewell speech by Eisenhower, given that he warned the world. But it seems like with the assassination of people like Kennedy, like RFK, like Martin Luther King, who was an anti-imperialist, like Michael M Malcolm X, who was an anti-imperialist, and others, by the way, who are not only anti-imperialist, but I would say they were um, uh, collectivists in the sense that they wanted to bring people together. Mm -hmm. Those were considered the most dangerous. They assassinated anyone who could challenge them, maybe not with the pen, maybe not with their money, but with their voice. And that is how we ended up where we're at in 2023. Yeah, and so much of it revolves around censorship and not being able to speak. If we don't even know everything that happened, if we haven't seen every document related to our president's assassination decades ago, how do you get to healing? If you don't really know everything that happened, everything involved, if it's like a, it's like a, I always liken it to a, a, a dispute in a relationship. If you can't really talk about it and what went down and what caused it and who's to blame, it doesn't heal. Well put, Francis. That's absolutely true. It goes as far as the president. I mean, there's a recording of Richard Nixon and he goes over to, to he has a conversation with Dick Helms, who's his CIA director, and he's asking for files on the JFK assassination. And he's saying, how, I mean, how's this supposed to work? The new president comes in and he doesn't even know what the government was doing before. I mean, that's not reasonable. And uh, he tries different tacks to take. And finally, he says, like, well, you know, this whole who shot Jack thing, I, I need to know, was it, was it, who's responsible? Is it Nixon? Is it the CIA? Is it the Russians? He's like, because, you know, I love the dirty tricks department and uh, I, I want to protect you guys. And I, you, God knows I've done a lot to protect you already, but I have a feeling this thing might blow up and it would be good for me to know what's going on. The truth is, he wanted to get, 
documents about the Kennedy assassination so he would have leverage over the CIA. The CIA didn't give it to him. So this is who is who is running this thing? I mean, this is and this era is is when a lot of this gets established. It's so secret and communist subversion is so dangerous and everywhere and, and everything. We have to have these measures. We have to have this this whole regime of like thought control and punishment for anyone who deviates from the mission of, uh, you know, fighting ca- communism. Aaron, Francis, I have a question for you really quick. Do you all remember what Chuck Schumer said to Donald Trump a couple of years ago or several Re- years ago at this point? Refresh our memory. Where he said, uh, Donald Trump, you you know, he, he keeps talking down to those guys in the intelligence community like the CIA. You don't want to piss those guys off. You don't want to make enemies mm. out of those guys. The, you mean their boss doesn't want to make enemies out right. of his employees? What exactly is that supposed to mean? It means that was just Chuck Schumer really letting the world know what we had already known before, which is the president doesn't really run the country. Those guys that remain nameless, if you will, those guys who are running the country and running the world from the shadows, those are the ones who are actually in charge. And he was reminding Trump of that as well in case he just had some delusions of grandeur that he (laughs) was actually, you know, the commander in chief. Or delusions like they actually work for us, the people. Exactly. That's what. So we had. We saw Trump promise, for example, to release the JFK documents. Did he do it? No. We, you know, Biden even tried to say that he would do it while he was running against Trump. Did he do it? Absolutely not. Um, RFK Jr. now is saying and demanding the release of the documents, and I think that's pretty significant. Obviously, because you're running for president, but also because of where he was prior. In his in his stance on even discussing the assassination of both his father and his uncle, even he is beginning to see like, look, this is getting to the point where we need to know what's going on. Why are so many people afraid to challenge the authority um, that is causing the, the most problems in this country? That is continuously perpetuating the military industrial complex. That that uh, that has made my, my family terrified to investigate the murder of their brother, their father, their uncle, whoever JFK or RFK may have been to them terrified to discuss it, taking the side of those who killed the members of his family. So now RFK Jr. went from let's look forward to no, there is no way to move forward unless we look back. And I've I got a lot of respect for him for doing that because once again, anybody with the last name Kennedy that challenges the system in any way, I admire that and I, and I also worry about him. So, you know, but I have a lot of respect for him for doing that. Yeah, the Schumer phrase was, the way he worded it, if I recall correctly, was Oh, you don't want to mess with those guys. They have six ways from Sunday to get back at you. You know, and it was like, okay, you're the senator and you're telling the president, don't mess. Yeah, he said it on TV. He's (laughs) like, you don't want to mess with them. They could get back to you. Oh, man. Now, I I talked to someone recently who has been working on the case for decades. And he said that before, um, before Trump was took either before he took office or before the election, he, he had floated something with some other people about like, would should we make an effort to like expose the JFK case to the to the public. So there were people around Trump and this person I think was ex-CIA who was talking to my friend a researcher. So even Trump was thinking like maybe this would be something I could do to, you know, take on the deep state and show the people I'm serious, but then he backs away from it. So it just shows you how powerful this taboo is, but to my mind what the source for hope is is that the empire, which which did all this, is now dissipating. And so, as Robert Kennedy is saying, he said on my podcast, the empire has collapsed. I mean, he was that categorical about it. And that means, what's the point of the secrecy anymore? I think that this makes it for a very interesting time. It's a good time for this candidacy, and it's a good time for this film series. It's the perfect time for it. 
And I hope that somehow and the world it leads is ready. to an awakening. The world is ready. The world is ready. The world is ready. The longer it's hidden, the more curious more of us become. It's uh, Aaron, remind us about what Jesse said about going to Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said that he, he went to Dallas and he'd never been there before. So he went and he sat behind the grassy knoll for a while. And then he was out on the tarmac at Love Field for a bit. Uh, I think that was actually where he, sm- he smoked a cigar. Perhaps and or, or but either way, before he's at Love Field and he's sort of standing there for a minute and he's about to get on the plane. And then as he is a, it's a Dallas police officer, I believe, who says, be careful, governor. There's a lot of people who don't want people looking into this. So uh, just watch yourself. So even all this time later, there's an air of of danger around this in even in Dallas, because I think they know that there's a power structure of the city that's intertwined with a bigger national and global power structure that is still out there. And so you see it the way that things get censored about this subject and, and so on and so forth. They, there's still a force out there trying to keep this bottled up. Nico, our, our power structure is our, our time limits. Say something quickly before we yeah, no, I just wanted to say, at the, so at the end of my review, I talk about how uh, Eisenhower mentions both McCarthyism and the scientific technocracy, which is also not discussed a lot about his speech. And we literally saw over the last four or five years this coming to fruition in such a way that I don't even know if Eisenhower could have predicted it coming like in perfect synchrony like it, like it did. We saw the McCarthyism after 2016, after Hillary Clinton lost, and then anyone who disagreed with that was labeled a Putin puppet. And then they used the technocracy that the government is in control of to silence anyone who challenged them. That is terrifying. And it really just should serve as a reminder that RFK Jr., even if you're not supporting RFK Jr., because this is this this documentary is beyond that. The lies that are involved, the support of the candidate that you choose, they need to be aware of the facts that are discussed in this documentary. Because those facts, the history, change the course of the world. And in order for us to put ourselves back on course, you have to be aware of what we're up against and you have to be willing and brave enough to change it. That's all I wanted to say, Francis. Great. Great guys. Aaron, Nico, thank you so much. Uh, please check out four died trying on Apple TV. Very important series. Come back next week. Join us again on the Kennedy beacon podcast. And don't forget to go on Substack and find the Kennedy beacon Substack. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thanks Francis.